Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Y'all, um, squeeze in so we have enough room for everybody. So. Uh, 7.30 this morning, one of my very favorite people, um, gentleman that comes every Sunday, he's 88 years old, is walking out the door and I get, I have dyslexia with things that I read and things that I say. And as he was leaving, I said, um, give your love to my wife. <laughs> and without skipping a beat, he looked over his shoulder and he goes, all right, if that's how you roll. <laughs> Look out for a call this afternoon. <laughs> um, we have a bookend readings today, which I always love because they, they sort of uh, tie things up nice and neat. So we have um, Moses and uh, the burning bush coming and confronting God. Um, and then, of course, we have on the other end of the spectrum, Christ uh, confronting the Israelites who are upset, the Jews who are upset with um, the commingling of blood from Pontius Pilate. So we have uh, implicitly the bad character of Pharaoh and the good character of Moses, who is the chief lawgiver. And then we have uh, uh, Pontius Pilate, implicitly, the bad character, and then the good, of course, our Lord Jesus Christ on both ends. And in between, you have Paul sort of making the transition as to why things had to happen the way they did. But first, we deal with Moses and this burning bush I've told this story before, most of you, if not all of you have heard it, but uh, our former rector, when he was visiting the Holy Land, went to a monastery where the burning bush is supposedly located, and there's a fire extinguisher next to the burning bush, <laughs> which uh, always made me laugh a little bit. In case it catches on fire, put it out. Um, I wonder how many of us uh, carry around a actual fire extinguisher inside and put out the Word of God. There's a thought for the day that's going to fester. So um, we have Moses who's been sent to Pharaoh to free the people of Egypt, and we have these plagues. The plagues are all, someone reminded me this morning, the plagues are all directed toward the things that the Egyptians worshipped, so they were all idolatrous. So in other words, they worshipped uh, the water of the Nile, and they sent a plague of blood. Um, they worshipped um, the trees and uh, kind of a pantheistic thing almost, with a different god, of course, and the sun, and they were given locusts and so on and so forth, all of these plagues. Um, a, a mutual friend of mine who's a, a rabbi said he always wished that, they, that they'd done a plague of a cloud of uh, itching cream, uh, itching dust. So because um, he thought it would be funny if everybody itched themselves, scratched themselves. So um, I don't know why I told that. But um, so uh, all of these deal with the idolatry that we're talking about. And um, ultimately, the ultimate uh, plague 
is uh, for us to uh, treat ourselves as God, to make ourselves God, which is exactly what Pharaoh does. At the last, he turns himself and says that I'm going to fix this once and for all and advances on the Jews and tries to take them, but we all know the rest of the story. The Jews are baptized in the waters as they are parted, and the Egyptians, of course, lose the battle as the waters enclose on them. And so they ultimately pay the price for their idolatry. And we have that wonderful statement of I am. I am who I am. And I am, simply put, in um, Hebrew, uh, spells out uh, Yahweh. So um, that is, they would have known what that meant. As opposed to us, when we read it, we think that sounds kind of funny, or it sounds odd. Um, You know, go to them and say, I am sent me. That makes no sense to us, but it would have made sense to them. And I still contend to this day for the Neil Diamond fans that uh, the song I Am I Said is about God, but uh, I can't prove it. I've never found it in uh, reading or writing. So go home today and listen to that song, I Am I Said. And um, so that, that is our package for the New Testament. And then we, we bookend it by going forward to Jesus, who's talking today um, about idolatry of a different kind. And by the way, I said this on Ash Wednesday, for those of you that were here and those of you that weren't, that we all fall subject to idols. It's, it's just a part of our human nature. I'm not excusing it. As Christians, we all want to do better, and we should strive to, and I try to, and I'm sure you probably do also, but we all fall subject to it, to varying degrees, idolatry. It can be, of course, the ones that we always hear about, uh, drugs, alcohol, sex, um, but it can be others. I think the most prevalent one in this day and age, and probably in this congregation, is uh, career and work. I believe that is the idol that most people pray to and don't realize it until they have sacrificed their family and everything else that has gone before. I, too, have to be really careful with that one, and I'm sure you do as well. So Jesus today is confronted by these Jews who say that, uh, that Pontius Pilate has commingled the blood of Galileans with the blood of uh, pagan sacrifices, which would have been horrific, very sinful, just unbelievably. First of all, blood in itself is unclean, so there's that piece of it, but to co-mingle the blood of the chosen people, the Israelites, the Jews, with that that is sacrificed to idols would have been just an unforgivable thing. And of course, Pilate didn't care. He was a pretty, he was a very mean ruler, very nasty ruler from what we know in history. Interestingly enough, that particular piece that happens there is never spoken of in the New Testament. So we don't know exactly what happened. We just know that we get a mention of it right here. And the very next thing that Jesus mentions, the Tower of Siloam falling, is never mentioned in the New Testament either. But it is attested to by a non-Christian and a non-Jew historian. Um, who writes about it, that the tower did fall and 18 people did perish, so it's a proven fact that that did happen. But Jesus' point was that their sin was of no degree worse than anybody else's. For we all will perish according to 
our sins. At least that's what they thought at that time. That was the thinking of the day. Jesus is going to show them something different eventually, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But they all knew that that was coming. They all knew that they were going to fall. They would not be able to escape. And what do we know? That God so loved the world that he gave his life that all who believe in him should never perish but have life everlasting. That is what we have come to know now. But it wasn't without a great deal of pain. So we have this last part of this that finishes it up, that bookends everything, um, all the way back to Moses <coughs> coming forward, which is this fig tree, this odd, odd um, piece about the fig tree, and it's, it's incomplete. He doesn't finish it. He leaves it open, which he never does. Usually when Jesus does this, he completes it by saying, such is the kingdom of God, or such is this, and he brings it to a boiled down point where we can put our arms around it and understand what it's about. But today, it just says, you know, um, put some manure around it, and if it produces fruit, great, and if it doesn't, cut it down. And that's it. That's the end of it. Um, here's what I know, that I do not believe that it is coincidental that it is three years. I do not believe that it is coincidental that Christ's ministry was three years, that he walked upon this earth ministering and doing all sorts of amazing things, and it did not bear fruit in the people that he taught it to because we never got it. We never understood it. Even up until the crucifixion, we still didn't get it. There was no fruit born there. I don't think it's a mistake that it was three years and that it's three days that Christ goes into the tomb and is raised on the third day. And it is not until then that we, the soil, have been tilled and begin to produce fruit. Tenfold, a hundredfold, a thousandfold. Because then we see fully what it is that has happened. Because we were given the law, we fleed or fled Egypt, we wandered in the desert for 40 years. We were a constant arc and flow of uh, we idolize, we're punished by God, we fall in love with God, then we idolize and we're punished by God, and we fall in love with God. The Old Testament is replete all the way through with that arc that happens all the time. And then when we arrive at the point of Jesus, they are thinking that the same thing is happening to them. And many of us today still believe that we're punished by God. But the fact of the matter is, is that the punishment ended at that three days. That grace overtook the law. That Jesus was the fulfillment of it. And that everything that we do, it doesn't matter in terms of degrees. In other words, sin doesn't, it's, there's no... One sin is not higher than the other. They're not degreed, okay? In fact, James says in his epistle that if you keep the whole law but break just one piece of it, you're guilty of breaking the whole law. There's no partiality of sin. There's no partiality of people either. God does not show partiality. The person who stands and receives the gold medal for gymnastics at the Olympics is equal in the eyes of God to the one who is in a wheelchair and sleeps in a cardboard box tonight. 
There is no partiality of being. There is no partiality of sin. They are all equal to God because they are all paid for in Jesus Christ over the course of that three days. And thanks be to God that we will arrive at the end of this Lenten season and hear those words, it is finished. Amen.